There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The boat's in your court. The boat's in your court. Oh, get no, no, when, when in boat. I think that one's quite a good one, yeah. <laughs> the best um, thing since sliced boat. <laughs> <laughs> It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Dave O'Brien. Oh. Yes, I've still got the title, unlucky Lawrence. You know oh. him, you love him. Chris Hennage is here as well. Fuck oh, off. Good evening. Thanks. Okay, I'll be off. And back from holiday, it is a pleasure to welcome back the one and only Lawrence McKenna. I've actually met other Lawrence McKenna, so you're no, wrong. You <laughs> is that true? Yes. Is that a true story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Disappointing. Never mind. All I can say is that. Lawrence, you are back well, from holiday. Well, How was yes. your holiday? Beautiful. Lisbon's such a great city. Yeah. A really lovely place. Uh, yeah. I was there a year late for the Champions League, um, but it was still very much celebrated. Beautiful. Beautiful. What was the highlight of your holiday? Uh, <laughs> so many replies. Um, I, uh, the beautiful food of Lisbon. Nice. Mm. Uh, well done. It's got good food. Well, the people have been asking after you, Lance. They've been, they've been worried. I saw at least one person tweeted, and that's all that matters. It was it was it's always good to get a rest in before the Euros, don't you think, Adam? Are you, are you going to get a rest in before the Euros? Um, I don't think so. Uh, there's no oh, rest okay. for the wicked, I believe is the phrase. Or you, um, or me. Um, but welcome back, Lawrence. It's great to have you Thank back you. on the podcast. Someone else did tweet. Someone else did tweet. Um, I think it was actually I woke up to this tweet this morning, so I just want to thank whoever that was. <laughs> Uh, let me. It was a tweet to the front three, and it yeah. said, uh, "Let me find." Oh, there we go. I, I beg you, don't bring back Loscast and nice. keep Kay Hennage. Nice. He actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> that one there from Stefan Gill. That's um, lovely, isn't it? Just that's lovely. Just just a quick message. I think I've delivered this one on Football Daily as well. Go fuck yourself, Stefan. <laughs> Nicely said. <laughs> Stefan, you'll be glad to know that Chris Hennage is here, though, because we're going to be talking about the Copper Americas later on. Appreciate the support, big S, man. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be talking about the Copper Americas, like Chris is here. Um, before that, though, we've got to get through the news, um, all the good stuff. And before even that, we need to talk about the reviews, guys. You've been sending in your reviews uh, from around the world. For but example... You know how Lisbon was? It was listening to the front three when I wasn't on it. Did you enjoy it or was it surreal? It was really good actually. I, was, I sort of felt like leaving a review. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sign up for a Twitter account, did you, Stefan? I mean, Lawrence. Yeah. 
reviews this week. You've been sending in reviews, for example, Henrsvern from Norway, I definitely pronounced that correctly, said, Jesus Christ, this is just too good. Thank you very much for your review. We also had Salon60 writing in, absolutely love the show, by far my favourite football podcast. Adam is surely the next Ed Chamberlain for Sky Sports. I'll take it as a compliment. He said, brilliant I stuff. I Garth Crook. Great chemistry. Keep it up, lads. But comment of the week this week, guys, has to go to Mr. Ben Moore, who writes in his reviews titled Nonces, and he says, David and Adam are nonces. Lawrence is the master nonce. Best of all, five stars. He still gave it five stars. That's all that matters, guys. It doesn't matter that he insulted us. I've often thought of you two. And you know what? It, it really it really fills my heart with joy that I really feel like Chris fits into that group of nonces. Yeah. I know the money's Chris. covered in dog shit, but it's still legal tender. Chris, for, the, for those... For those who aren't in the UK, Chris, who maybe don't know what a nonce is, um, what a is big... a nonce? Are you trying to get me to stand yeah. up in court in six months' time? <laughs> Why would you be standing up in court, Chris? I'm just, I don't understand. You know, not everyone... I'm going to have to not, cite example, sure. Not everyone who listens is from the UK, Chris. I'm just... I want to educate people, you know. People are calling us nonces. Um, I just want people to know what a nonce is. All I imagined was Kristen replying, there was only this one time, right? <laughs> I think the the it's best description me. of a nonce is probably sexual I mean, deviant, maybe? North, as it does down south. Let's put it that way. Yeah, a nonce is a paedophile. <laughs> I thought you were going to like sugarcoat it a little bit and maybe not use it. But fair play. No. You, you, you've and I just want to remind in. everyone, I'm the master nonce. Yeah. All right. yeah. In case you, there was any, you need any clarification, <laughs> Lawrence is the master nonce. Um, yeah. Just any old nonce. Not uh, just any old nonce, the best nonce. Put that on your LinkedIn, Lawrence. Um, moving on <laughs> to the news, guys. <laughs> moving Can into I just say, news. I've met Ed Chamberlain, and Adam Adam is so similar to Ed Chamberlain, it's uncanny. What do you mean, boring and vanilla? No, uh, well, I mean, if those <laughs> two were... Well... Um, no, he's just, um, he's he's really tall when you meet him. Right, yeah. That and is my quite defining tall, characteristic. Like. Guys, let's get into the news. We need to talk about what's been going on in the world of football this week. Um, most importantly, Lawrence, of course, is the England squad. Roy Hodgson has whittled down that 26-man initial squad to 23 names, cutting out Danny Drinkwater, Andros Townsend, and, of course, the injured Fabian Delph. Caused quite a lot of controversy on Twitter, especially. People saying that Ross Barkley should have been cut out, Jordan Henderson, Jack Wilshere, and... Even Adam Lallana, who I sort of forgot was even in the England squad. But, I mean, what do you, what, what do you make of Roy's uh, decision? Because it's not gone down great. I, I mean, I think it's gone down well with some people. I just don't think it's gone down well with everyone. Mm. Um, you know, I, th- I think the exclusion of Drinkwater didn't go down well with, mm. um, with Leicester fans and some other people who were looking at statistics. But you can probably find statistics to make anyone work. Um, within well, the England team, I think most people were saying Danny Drinkwater, you know, been on form all this season, been fantastic, won the league. Jack Wilshere's played one game. Why is but, he but, going over? Then, That's what people seem to be up in arms about. Yeah, I agree. But then you watch the England team play, um, and I think you understand where Roy was more or less trying to go at that side, and also how Danny Drinkwater did look a little bit lost um, during periods of, I think, what was his was his third international. Um, so you know, it's no it's no negative reflection on Drinkwater. I think it's more a positive reflection on what Roy is trying to build at the Euros. And I think for that reason, and you know, Chris has referred to these guys a few times before within teams. You need some piano carriers essentially, um, 
And, you know, I don't know if you regard a Henderson or a Milner as a piano carrier um, in such a crude way, but definitely I think that he has a couple of those guys within the squad. Um, and maybe he just felt that Drinkwater didn't quite fit that system or the system that he's looking to play or an effect, a system that he believed was effective within, within mm. that. I mean, Adam, one thing you have to acknowledge is, is systems don't win you football matches. They don't, according to Roy Hodgson. Um, um, players yeah, do. Bollocks, but of, of those players, Dave, um, I mean, can you see why people were upset about Danny Drinkwater not being included uh, with Henderson, uh, Wilshire, and... Barkley especially seemed to get a lot of uh, abuse. I was I was really upset for him to be quite honest. You know, I'd say he was the Premier League's Eng- the English's best central midfielder this season in the Premier League. And to, Dave, you were really upset to um, you know to say that he des- doesn't deserve to be in there. I think it's a massive misjustice. You know, look so at no one says he doesn't deserve to be in there. It's people are just saying he just he's not in. He did. Roy Hodgson said at no point does he uh, does he not deserve to be in there. And I think he even said himself it was sort of a very hard decision. But um, he what said a that hard Hodgson... decision to pick someone like Jack Wilshire who played like zero minutes this season or injured Jordan Henderson for a player that's won the Premier League and, and a player that's got a real understanding with one of our best strikers in Jamie Vardy. Yet Jamie Vardy seems to be cast aside and Danny Drinkwater seems to be cast aside, which, you know, unequivocally means England aren't going to win the Euros because they're not going to play on the counter-attack. You look <laughs> right, at assists and chances created... In the Premier League this season, within his own half, Danny Drinkwater tops both of those. Four assists and has created 17 chances from his own half. The four assists are all balls to Jamie Vardy, all playing clean through, all being very direct. And that's what England need to do. And without someone like Danny Drinkwater, without playing Jamie Vardy, we might as well not even bother turning up. But, but within that uh, system, you've got to admit, Dave, that um, he doesn't have someone next to him with the energy or um, dynamism of an Angolo Kante. Yeah, but England aren't going to play two people in midfield, are they? Inherently, that's the reason why that partnership worked so well. Was because so, Angulo Conte did two people's work in a way. He was the maybe, he was your runner, and he was your you, you know the player that broke up. But if you've got someone like Deli Ali in there, and you've got Drinkwater, you've got Eric Dyer, that's a pretty decent three-man midfield, if you ask me. Um, you know, and then obviously you can build ahead of that with other players. But it just seems again that. England seem to not think about things and have the same player. It seems like Roy's gone down that way of picking players that he likes in a way. Yeah, fair play. Jack Wilshire got a number of man-of-the-match man of performances for England over the last, what, year, two years. But quite frankly, he hasn't played enough minutes. It's cr- absolutely crazy. But did you not see where he fit into Roy's system when he played the friendly? Yeah, but that, that's the thing. There's this system. What is this system? The system's playing a midfield diamond or a 4 3 3. When the team that won the Premier League played a 4 4 2, the most successful counter attacking teams in world football now are playing a 4 4 2. Yet we're, we're stuck on this diamond where we're trying to play out the back, where we're trying to get our defensive midfielder to play out from Dave, the back. It's just. Do you mental. think a 4 4 2 suits England? If you, were, if you were Roy Hodgson, what system would you be playing to suit these players? Because it seems difficult to, to get all of the, the best players fit in a system. Well, I think one player that they didn't even like consider calling up, uh, Mikel Antonio, who's had an absolutely wonderful season, is a natural right right, right winger, and you know, completely overlooked, completely overlooked. You know, you look at some of the assists he's got this season. It's very direct, very down the line, and, and hanging the ball up, putting crosses into the penalty area. You're telling me Jamie Vardy and Harry Kane wouldn't like their eyes would light up when you know that type of player is on the pitch. But I suppose. 
you know, Roy Hodgson doesn't see it that way and he has this mm. system and they've been working on this system. Again, it's a system, you know, that quote that he made out that players win tournaments, not systems. And what has he, what's he been doing for the last, <laughs> the last, you know, 18 months, 24 months, years, 36 months, whatever you want to call it. It's just absolutely, I think he's lost it. He's, he's, he's finally cracked. He's think, cracked. Jesus, I think that's a little bit of a, that's a harsh indictment of Roy. Chris, what do you make of all this? Because, I mean, we spoke about this on, on TFR earlier this week, but it, does seem it's hard to disagree that Roy Hodgson seems to be picking players on reputation over form, but is he is he wrong in doing that? The truth of that is, you will only find the answer when the tournament is finished. Yeah. No, oh, it's over. England so are out in the group stages. Like. In in the in the sense that again, you're you're asking players' bodies to hold up, and there's no exact science to know that. Now, the difference is, I and I've been guilty of this. I'll admit of lumping Wilshire and Sturridge into the same boat. Actually, Sturridge has played considerably more football. The problem is, I, I think as well, ignore the on-paper thing, I also think there comes a point where you have to say, you know what, even if you think Wilshire is, is better on paper than Danny Drinkwater, that would be him after a full season would be better than Danny. At this precise moment, Jack Wilshire is not better than Danny Drinkwater. I've watched him, again, in the briefest of brief experiences that we've had with him over the last two years and bar that Slovenia game I can't think of a moment where he's genuinely turned a game and even then you're looking at an opposition of the caliber of Slovenia and saying that's going to surely that doesn't can't apply to the likes of France and Germany and Italy and teams like that it's it's such a small sample size to, to base a judgment on and I think that applies both ways in terms of not selecting him or selecting him and in the wider picture for me it puts so much needless pressure on Jack Wilshire because, again, he's going to go to this tournament and if he has a barnstormer grit, if he's absolutely useless or the team don't perform or he's injured, it will reaffirm in the eyes of his critics why he is not the yeah. answer. Mm, yeah. And I think, personally, that's poor man management from Hodgson because he's putting needless pressure on a player who really, I think, needs at least 18 months of top kind of level football without breaking down in some form or another. I had a, an argument many years ago with Graeme Stewart about um, sending Jack Wilshire to a, a youth tournament. I think it was the under-21s. And he said, no, no, you shouldn't do that. He, he needs to be rested. And, I'm, and my argument was actually, no, quite the opposite. He needs more, as much tournament experience as possible. He needs to play as much football as he can now so that he has that experience. Right now, I, I just don't think he's the right answer. And the problem is, is that Jack Wilshire in many ways, has become such a divisive and such an emotive issue for England fans that if you do think he's not the answer, I guarantee you will get people who attack you quite viciously about it and say that you know nothing and all this kind of stuff. And yet, on the other end, he's so polarising. I'd say the most polarising England player that we have at this precise moment. There are people who think he's not worth it in League Two. Mm, I do think that there is also elements of the way that we treat the story coming out of England. I don't think the FA... Um, manage it particularly well. I don't think uh, that we're necessarily treated, we, we, we treat the situation well by announcing a bigger squad, then shaving it down in a certain way. Um, you know, England also aren't the only side that um, have this issue of leaving people out. You know, everyone has to leave someone out. And I, I guess you could treat it more positively. But it seems as if because we aren't confident in Roy and because we don't actually believe much in Roy's legacy in the long term, which is what, including Rashford in this squad, um, 
it's almost like people are sort of getting the boot in early because they think, well, England not going to win it. Um, you know, so we might as well make sure that they people know that. I just feel like it, it doesn't make any, it doesn't seem to be a doesn't seem to be a very level headed evaluation, mm. and it does seem to be very damning of Roy very early. I don't I don't quite see the point. It almost feels a little bit hipsterish to me. I'll say this: much. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't take personally. I think you can you can forge an argument for Daniel Sturridge to go because he he can be that difference maker, and he showed as recently as the Europa League final that he can produce a moment of brilliance as an individual. Personally, I would not have taken Jack Wilshire. If anything, I'd have been tempted to take Andros Townsend because for me that squad is quite lacking in width. And if you're not going to take Danny Drinkwater for for the reasons listed, fine. But at least with Townsend, you've got a little bit of width in there, which I think is the problem for England right now, is you're relying a lot on Sterling to do that. And for me, he's never been a conventional winger in that sense. He's always been someone that wants to go narrow. Yeah, definitely a narrow guy. Yeah. Do you not think, Lawrence, you can see the, the problems people have with Roy's selection? Because he talked about how Walcott hasn't played enough games, that's why he's not in the squad. All of a sudden, Jack Wilsh is in the final 23. You're leaving out the likes of Danny Drinkwater. He's taken five strikers now. A midfield that you do have question marks over the injuries uh, of the likes of Henderson, Wilshire, the injury records of those players. The defence yeah. is shaky. So the, the overall balance of the squad seems slightly off from the outset. I don't think it was ever going to be a particularly well-balanced squad. I think he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, also when it comes down to England, there, there are issues with injuries. But then I also think that's partly down to the, the football times that we're in. And, I, you know, I imagine that he... For me, I think this is always going to be a role of Roy Hodgson's final dice because, mm. you know, this is always going to be his last tournament. And um, it, to me, it, see, it feels a little bit like sort of uh, being like, oh, the bet didn't work, but the, the dice are only halfway down the table. I'm not yeah, saying that they're going to win it, but I, but I do... And I see the criticism, but this, this 23 need time to go together and I you know if you're an England fan which I, I you know I don't I don't particularly care either way for England uh, but you know if you're an England fan then patriotism you, you might yeah but you might as well get behind them or you might yeah. as well be look for a hero within that team and I, I, I guess it just for me all the all the answers just seem a little bit too easy right now do you know we, you know we've not even seen this tw- this 23 as a unit yeah. haven't even really been tested by anyone and already people I mean there's just ridiculous headlines coming out about how England's uh, preparations have been disrupted for Gareth Bale purely because Portugal aren't including Ronaldo in their side it just doesn't make any sense it it seems a lot like there's a lot of people in the space who do a lot of talking and don't do a lot of analysis Dave is it a bit bit weird that Portugal have been playing like a what a a 4-4-2 diamond or a Sort of, you know, a four-four-two flat four-four-two, and Wales have been playing a three-four-two-one with Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey behind. Um, what's he called, Robson Canu? It just seems, you know, what, what's that? You know, that that whole line Wait, you just uh... said that Lawrence is complete shit. <laughs> yeah, but it was, but it was one of the top headlines today on the BBC. Was hmm. England's disru- England's preparation for Gareth Bale disrupted because Ronaldo's not in the team? Well, you'd say, well, I mean, that's fair enough, but they've got Ricardo Quaresma in there. The big man, the big names. Um, hey, he scored the other night. Don't he scored in the thirteenth minute the other night, and he's still—I'd say he's still Chris's number one guy. Hey, he's still got it. He has still got it. Um, Never left him. 
Dave, it, it, Lawrence is right there in terms of you're down if you're down if you don't, because if he'd have left out Wilshire or Henderson or Barkley, we'd still be seeing the same level of criticism, I feel like. It doesn't matter what you do. Uh, you're still going to get it uh, for both barrels. Yeah, I think so, but I do. I just think that the selections that he's made have just been a bit poor again. That's yeah, the kind of the Dave, issue that... I mean, Dave, come on, realistically, if you're taking Wiltshire out, you're putting drink water in, is that, is that really pushing England to the next level? That's pushing England to the right level. It's pushing England to a new level in the latter stage of the tournament. What are they going to do? They're going to... Pretty much they're going to get through the group. Oh, they'll scrape through the group or they won't even get through the group. And then as soon as they come against up against anyone good, they haven't got a set up to play someone that's good. They're just going to get absolutely pinged again. <laughs> it's the same absolutely mistake over and over again. Big. There's no there's no change in it. England should play on the counter-attack full stop. That's what England should do. Because that's what, you know, our mentality as a nation. We, need we haven't got an identity. That's what we should take as an identity. What about... Yet we still... Mess about. I don't what, know. What about Rashford, Dave? You must be happy with Rashford. That's an exciting inclusion. No. I wanted him to have a summer off so he could chill out and then come and score loads of goals. Right. Oh, he's got to go to the Euros. You're being such no, a hypocrite with that, though. And you do realise that. I, and that's because I've got to get in the, the mindset of an England fan when I'm talking about Danny Drinkwater. But then when Marcus Rashford is mentioned, I'm going to be like, whoa, lads. Leave off, yeah. Let him let him sit on the bench for a bit. But <laughs> He's think too what, young. What, what's good for England? What's good for England with Rashford is his pace um, and his ability to finish within the penalty area. He's had eight shots on goal in the Premier League and scored five goals from that, and that is insane. Seems to be a man that's getting in the right place at the right time at the moment. I think England sort of you know could do with that, and that's uh, a good quality of a player. Can play out wide, can play centrally. You know, in a squad that doesn't have much width, Marcus Rashford could play wide right, could play wide left could be you know very fluid Raheem Sterling switching positions so for me it's a very uh, it, it's good for England that is it's a good it's a good addition to the squad but then again why he's taken five strikers in a way with no real that much of a variation in terms of I mean like the big target man that I've that called for before to really give that something else to think about you've got you know Daniel Sturridge does he deserve to be well not deserve to be there but would you take him when you consider Wackham Lowe's comments about um, Marcus uh, Royce when he Marco said you know look Marco Royce sorry when he said you know look Marco Royce isn't going to be able to play the full month so we can't take him is Daniel Sturridge going to be able to play the full month probably not but we're I, still I mean, taking him well I mean I, I think that is uh, there's definitely questions I think a lot of people are putting every injured player in the same area as every other injured player, injured player within the team, and I think you know it's been something that's been addressed by Roy down the years, where he's basically said, um, you know, we have to assess every player individually and work out whether they're fit to play. Um, you know, Daniel Sturridge has started some reasonably important games for Liverpool in recent times and has made it through a number of matches. I imagine he wouldn't have included him in the squad if he thought he was going to get injured fairly early on. I guess my problem is we're just for me we're almost we're looking at the minutiae of this England side and we're not looking at them in the wider context of the tournament. In the wider context of the tournament, I watched uh, France-Cameroon the other night. France looked far the superior side, um, but definitely a side that can be gotten at. You know, that, uh, I, I don't think that England's problems are exclusive to England. I think that every side is going to this tournament with some sort of soft underbelly or something that is possible to get at. So that's going to make for interesting tactical football to see how people can exploit that. Um. I'm almost slightly more interested in how some of the underdogs in inverted commas are going to, in inverted commas, punch up. Um, because there are some incredibly exciting sides in there, which almost give people too much meat to get their teeth into when they're talking about 
maybe uh, an underdog or a dark horse, those kind of guys. Let's move on then, Dave. Ryan Giggs has returned from holiday and is ready to end his 29-year association with Manchester United. He's apparently been offered a lesser role under newly appointed boss Jose Mourinho. This is something you've been calling for, Dave. You want him to go out there, prove himself. It looks like he could be about to do it. Yeah, I think he needs to cut his teeth and it would be a very, very good career move for him. He's but was offered the role of being the bridge between the academy and the first team. Not a bad role, but again, not really cutting his teeth in management. Was all you know, the under 18s job at United was up for grabs, he could have taken that. But I feel like it's gotta be he's gotta go out there somewhere. I'd quite like to see him not I don't want to see him in the Premier League because I think there's too many good managers there that he might get found out in a way. The Championship is a very sort—it's still a very difficult league. I'd like to see him go to like League One or League Two, and just you know manage a team there and try and put his style of football onto that team, and then see whether he can build himself up. Feel that he needs that type of uh, type of job. The Celtic job could have been a bit of a very interesting <laughs> one. We see Brendan Rodgers went over there and took that instead. So yeah, I think he really needs to go down there, cut his teeth, work out his philosophy properly manage a club, manage every aspect of the club um, and see where he can go because we, we never know with these people obviously seeing Zidane win the, um, the Champions win League. The we Champions never thought that would yeah. be possible. Mental. Yeah, but Zidane, um, you yeah, know. But Zidane did the opposite of what you're telling Ryan Giggs to do. But Zidane managed the Castilla for two years, right? Hence cutting yeah, but, his teeth in management. Yeah, you can't that, do that, that in the Premier problems. League. Yeah, but that's not, Castilla is not the Premier League. Castilla is far, Castilla is far from the Premier League. This is, is the thing where you're wrong. Game? The Castilla, the Castilla were in the second division Ooh. of Spain. Hence, yeah, is, is, his teeth at a pretty high level. Yeah, uh, oh, sorry. Where, what on, Ryan Giggs... Hold on. Like, you know, calling that the same level as maybe a championship or something like that, I feel is maybe uh, disingenuous to say that if Ryan Giggs had to go to another side, he's still within the warmth of Real Madrid. He's still very close to that side gets to see all those guys on a daily basis and still has a massive in- infrastructure within that. So I, I don't necessarily think that that's not, the same. Do you not think he has to leave, though, Lawrence? Do you not agree with Dave that he should leave, cut his teeth, wherever it is, whether you're making a comparison to Zell or not, that he needs to go and get some experience managing before he takes on what is the biggest job in English football, potentially? I don't think he's going to be Liverpool manager, no. Um, but I, <laughs> nice. I do think, uh, I mean, I, I see what Dave's saying. I also see the opposite. And I, I just think it's the way that people spin the headline. You know, uh, saying he, you know, he won't take a lesser role within United. Saying that, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he won't learn anything if he's at United. He's probably learned a lot from being under Van Gaal. And he's probably would learn a lot from being alongside Mourinho. I mean, you know, we, we talk about um, who's who's the guy who was on the Graham Hunter podcast this past week? His name, Paul Clement. Clement. Um, now, Paul is obviously, uh, you know, has managed Derby County, but he's now being called back to go and manage with Carlo Ancelotti at Bayern Munich. So I, I still think that there's a, an, I think there's a lot of merit to being an understudy to someone which goes ahead of or parallel to the other routes that maybe people take. Yeah, um, I think the thing with that, though, that Ryan Giggs has been in two very unsuccessful regimes at Manchester United. Two regimes where he was the man who was supposed to be linking the players to the coach. He was supposed to be the man, the assistant manager that could play that role, be 
be a little bit different to Louis van Gaal, maybe listen to the players, maybe talk to them about these tactics that they were obviously, you know, the big group of them that apparently went up to van Gaal come Christmas time and said, look, we've got to change our tactics. Why wasn't Ryan Giggs like in there? It seems like Ryan Giggs has played this role where he's sitting on this legendary status and he's been there. He was there with David Moyes. That side was fucking shite. Been there with Louis van Gaal. That side was very, very poor. All of his pals, you know, the Gary Nevilles, the Paul Scholes, hammering LVG. And Giggs didn't once say, no, I'm with the manager. No, I'm with him. It felt very disjoint. And for an assistant manager, that's not good enough. If he wants to be a career assistant manager, do that. But he obviously has the balls to be a manager. And that's what he should do. He should cut his teeth at a decent level. Again, going back to what I said before. It just feels like Ryan Giggs has played a little bit of a sneaky role in Manchester United over the last you know, five years. I've not been there. I've not watched it. But he's not been vocal enough for me. Well, in, in that case, in, well, yeah, but in that case, I feel like you, in, within what you just said, I feel like there's massive contradictions of saying he's clearly got the balls to be a manager, but he's been a bit sneaky. Um, I mean, we all know, we all know his predisposition. Um, but, you know, he has been a little bit sneaky. It was from behind, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, I think I think what I think what I'm saying is uh, I, I see what you're saying, Dave. That I see the merits of going away and uh, studying somewhere else, but I also see and I also see that obviously Zidane was one of the greatest footballers of all time um, in a very different way to the way that Ryan Giggs was. Mm. Um, that's not taking anything away from him, but you know I, I still think there's huge merit to studying under Mourinho because well, just look at other people who have studied under Mourinho and where that's gotten them. Um, Andre you know, Brandon <laughs> Rogers, of course, um, and you know uh, <laughs> other people who worked alongside him, Steve Clark, and people like that. Who uh, you know, I'm not saying they they uh, they are lesser than him, but I'm saying they definitely would have taken from some of his methods and seen what was going on there. So there's definitely a lot to be said for biding your time and sitting in the warm nest of Manchester yeah. United. Where do you sit on this one, Chris? Because I can see both sides of that you know you've got to strike out on your own and forge your own name and, and forge your own career really but at the same time I've, I've heard a lot of United fans say Gig should stay soak up that knowledge under Mourinho one of the best managers in the game where do you think uh, Gig's best move lies he's learned one way with Manchester United for <clears throat> excuse me was it 29 years that you said that's his yeah, association in total yeah 29 year career he spent just a just shy of three decades there. He has to go away now, I think, and learn somewhere else. I would be very curious to sit down with Gary Neville, who's in, I think, in a comparatively similar situation, and ask him the question whether he learned more at Valencia in six months or in the two years prior doing television stuff and, and maybe helping out with Man United now again in England. Because the truth is, the second you distance yourself from a club that you are a legend and you go somewhere that you aren't, you're judged, I would argue, in a far more objective way. Of course, they'll be bleed over and, and using Neville as a case study. There was with him, there was instances where people said, oh, no, this is Gary Neville, he's a winner, it'll be fine, etc., etc. But the truth is, it wasn't, for the most part. I imagine he will have learned things, though, during that period that he likely couldn't learn at Manchester United. There, there has to be a moving from your comfort zone. The longer you, I think you stay in that comfort zone and you stay in that familiarity, it's, it is very much like that old saying, familiarity breeds contempt, and I think it can breed complacency as well. He, did, has, to yeah. some, he has to go somewhere, <clears throat> which league that is, what tier that is, which club, I think that's up for him to decide. But at this point, he needs to go away and th almost think independently, because for three decades, he's almost been told how to think, either 
subconsciously or consciously. Now he has to go away and define who he is as a coach and what he genuinely wants. Because I, I, I think Mourinho is a good example in the sense that, so he goes to Barcelona as a translator, works with uh, Sir Bobby Robson, works with Van Hall, etc., etc., is introduced to the Barcelona way. He then goes away, does his own thing, and comes up with the belief that winning beats style, hand over, hands down. Winning is the most important thing. And that is now his center uh, theory, if you like, to his management style. Jorge oh, no, style man. Always. I know. Uh, I, fit, I, so, I don't know what I'm saying. So he goes away and he decides that how that's how he wants to do it. He doesn't want to always play attractive football. He just wants to win. Whereas with Barcelona, they want to win. Of course they do. It would be ridiculous to say otherwise. They also want to win by using possession as a key metric. And that's the difference is that you go away and you decide what you like. It's much like moving out of home when you're sort of 16, 17, 18. You decide how you want to live. You decide if you want to eat pizza every night or if you actually want to have some yeah. kind of balanced diet. You decide <laughs> if you want to go to bed at 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock. Who, who is the most mm. successful, you know, those big 90s players that we saw grew up with who is who has now become the most successful manager is it Zidane now winning that Champions League Di Matteo obviously won the, won the Champions League with Chelsea um, yeah but I mean that, that wasn't really they didn't class that as independent success did they yeah because um, you know they, they sort of class that as him picking up on someone else's project can, can I also say I mean people are talking about leaving home people are talking about cutting their own teeth a lot of that I feel is down to per- perception of character right. um, and definitely the the, out, the perception from the outside and definitely not necessarily the self-perception of a man. I think the self-perception of a man is just as important as the perception uh, that other people hold him in very often. And one thing I think we're drastically overlooking here is Ryan Giggs is a man who had, you'd argue what was a tumultuous relationship with his wife for a while, um, which I I think they stuck through. Um, he also had has a young family, which you'd imagine maybe he doesn't feel like disrupting. You'd imagine he's also getting advice from people higher up than him, maybe Sir Alex, maybe some other people, and you know other people within Manchester that are saying it's a good idea to stay. You, you know, you're still young. Learn things from these managers who are coming through the club. All those kind of things, um, and to some extent, I think agitating for a move or whatever it is, or sort of you know making his battles public is working against him because it means that it puts the perception of him and and the way that he creates his own identity out into the journalistic forum and other people begin to write and analyze and write stories about him whereas maybe if he didn't rock the boat so much i think maybe people would let him develop um you know that's the way i see it anyway Mm. you know I, i see the merits of keeping a young family in the same place, especially when maybe in the past there have been big, big problems. I hope he does become a great manager because I'm waiting for one of those huge players from the 90s like, you know, Thierry Henry, Roy Keane, of course, Patrick Vieira. I'm waiting for one of them to be, to, to get to the top of the game. You know, I think that'd be fantastic to well, see. I mean, what about, what about players like, um, you know, there have been a lot of players who have passed through Milan recently. Um, I mean, you know. <laughs> not he, successfully. Uh, I mean, not, you know, you could argue that Antonio Conte is one of those big Ooh. managers from the 90s. Yeah. See how he gets on at Chelsea. Um, it's, yeah, good. 
Let's move on to a little bit of transfer news then before we get on to the Copper America previews. Uh, this one in the BBC, Dave, so you know it's true. BBC Sport reporting this one, finally confirming the move of Ilkay Gundogan to Manchester City despite his injury, uh, his knee injury. This one's been talked about for a long time. Um, apparently set to sign for Pep Guardiola's side for a £20 million fee. Uh, what do you make of this move? Because Gundogan, a highly rated player, obviously had his injury troubles, but the sort of player maybe Manchester City need in that midfield, especially if Yaya Torre ends up taking off. Yeah, he's a, he's a ball player, he's a dictator, he's someone that could really take Pep's style and uh, put it on that Manchester City side, because there's going to be some big question marks you'd mentioned central midfield. Their fullbacks as well need to get Pep-esque, you'd say. But Gundogan this season was really good when he was playing, but again, injury has been his concern. You know, that massive back injury that he had a few seasons ago, that still feels like it's having a bit of an effect, playing 25 times in the Bundesliga this season. It's just, it still feels the same with Gundogan, that he's not got over these problems, and it, it could be an issue at Manchester City. Similarly, sort of like how Thiago's been so injured under Pep um, at Bayern, it just seems like it fits into that same mould, a ball-playing central midfielder that just keeps getting injured. It feels to me like Pep Guardiola is going to sign Jack Wilshire next. Oh, yeah? Uh, Big well, transfer news. Um, Real Madrid have apparently rejected a £38 million bid for David Alaba. Chris, uh, Bayern Munich have no intention. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Of selling the Austrian, but he's apparently Real Madrid's top transfer target. Makes a change. They're usually after attackers, but you can see why they're interested in David Alaba. Did um, you see his goal the other night for Austria? Banter goal. They, they may be reviewing that opinion. Um, no, I'm, I'm being facetious. Essentially, it was a really bad on goal. I think he thought the goalkeeper was centre of the goal and he's passed it back and it essentially looks like match fixing because he's just <laughs> rolled it into his own goal. Um, no, I can, I can see why you'd want Albert because to me, he's a very versatile player. Um, if I remember correctly, he didn't come through as a left back. Um, he, he came through, I think, as a midfielder. And he's shown that not only can he adapt and move into that position of left-back and make it his own, he can also still play midfield. And I believe he actually still plays midfield for, for Austria most of the time um, because obviously you would want someone of his calibre in a central position. I think one thing we may see perhaps in the next two to five years with football as we try and analyse these trends is more versatility in players in the sense that I think at the minute we, we've almost accepted that players can just play one position and that's their specialised position and that's their niche. I, I think that will change and I think it feeds into the, the, the idea of Ajax and playing different positions as a youngster so you understand the needs, the requirements, the, 
demands of that position. I think that will carry up through the age groups now. And we'll start to see guys like Alaba who can comfortably perform at a few positions rather than be serviceable there. And I can see why, consequently, so many clubs are always interested in him because to have that kind of player in your, your squad is always going to be a massive asset. Finally then, for transfer news, Spurs are after Alexandra Lacazette, the man perennially in the gossip pages, Lawrence, uh, linked to West Ham early this month, Arsenal pretty much every week. Um, £30 million. Spurs need a striker, Lawrence. Brilliant. Go for one. Yeah. Is he any good, yeah. Dave? Is he actually any good? This is the guy, like I say, he's always in the gossip pages. Is he worth £30 million? He's a player I really like. He's a player that got absolutely thrown out by the athletics community for scoring too many penalties last season. They they said he couldn't re- recreate this goal-scoring form that he has done this year. But if you watch Lacazette, he's a, he's a top player, very mobile forward, capable of pulling out wide and then dribbling inside. Um, really clinical the year that he, he the, for the first year that he sort of came onto the stage. It seemed like, felt like everything that he touched just turned to gold. You know, uh, curled shots into the top corner, one-touch finishes. And again, he's, it, it, it took him a little bit of time to get started this season, but he beat last season's record. Scored 21 goals in Liga this season. Only Ebro scored more goals in that division. So, yeah, he's a very good player and would fit in for Tottenham, would fit into Arsenal, would fit into Liverpool very well, would fit into Manchester United. He's a player because he's so mobile and he's so agile and he's, he's, not, you know, he's not a target man. that he could, You could put him into any side, I think, and he'd fit right in. Spurs do need that depth next season, don't they, Chris? Because it felt like a miracle Harry Kane didn't get injured this season. Obviously, Spurs so reliant on him to be competing on multiple fronts, especially the Champions League next season. They're going to need someone of his quality to come in and help bolster that squad. They will. The one concern I have is, and Dave mentioned it, he's not a target man. And to watch Spurs, I feel as if, not that they need a target man, they need someone that can play that lone role, though. I mean, I think I think Lacazette could do it. I just wonder if you'd have more benefit playing him in a slightly deeper role out wide and have him playing off someone in that sense. Um, I think you're completely right. The Spurs do have to invest in, in just some depth and some strength around the squad. And I think it's interesting that already they may be looking to move on Alex Pritchard and a few of the other kind of younger members of that academy who just haven't reached the, the mm. peak that they need yet. I think it could be a, a big summer for Spurs. What about what about uh, someone like Benteke? Ooh, I, maybe last year, Lawrence. Maybe last year. I don't know. Sure, <laughs> I, do you I mean, I could be still... wrong. I'm sure Dave will know the numbers. I like Benteke. I, I feel but... as if Spurs don't put in enough crosses yeah. and such like for someone like Benteke. I think he needs that traditional service. Do you not think he can still do a job at uh, Liverpool, Lawrence? Do you think his time is done? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's not that I don't think he can't do a job. It's just maybe that I would. I don't prefer to watch crossing football, yeah, um, and also I don't feel like Liverpool have particularly played to his strengths. Uh, maybe if they wanted to, then they would have done towards the end of the season, but they haven't. Maybe an off season will help them. Um, but it, it, at the moment, it still looks like a poor fit. I'd love to see him work out, but I'm just saying there's the possibility someone like that would fit in, or maybe give another option. West Ham is the persistent rumor on Benteke. He's off to the stadium, guys. Anyway, let's move on to a little preview of the Copa America Centenario. The Copa America Centenario kicks off this Friday, Chris. The big question is, who is going to win the 100th anniversary edition of the world's oldest international soccer tournament? Um, Let's run through some of the favourites, guys. 
some of the guys who may or may not be in contention. Let's start with the United States, the hosts for the first time ever. But we're going to do favourites. USA! USA! I believe that we will win, Chris. Brilliant. 29th in the world right now. Jürgen Klinsmann says they're going to finish, or he wants to finish, in the last four at least. But they are in the group of death, Chris. They were in the group of death in the World Cup as well. Yeah, I, I think that's just worth noting. Um, the one thing I would say is, is uh, at the minute for Klinsmann, the big issue is style of uh, substance and the fact that really the US doesn't have a very and you could argue it doesn't actually have a style that you can define in that way it's, it's lots of little traits knitted together that sometimes get at results and equally they're not a team that do well when they have to dictate a game so for example they could beat someone like Holland and Germany which they did in the space of a, a week in friendlies but they'll then get beaten off Guatemala 2-0 um, in, in Guatemala so that there's a real microscope I think up against Klinsman at this point because he's had a lot of time with this team now and one of the first things he promised the U.S. when he draw, when he arrived was they would have a style, they would have more synergy as well between the youth teams. And the truth is they don't. They, they missed out on the Olympics um, by losing to Colombia. Um, to be very blunt, they were absolutely outplayed by Colombia. And that is, is not a good reflection on him. And the fact that not just they were beaten, the fact they didn't, seem able to to link anything together to move anything together when we're seeing so much development of major league soccer when we're seeing more and more americans manage to find places in european at a high level more importantly that's a concern and i think we're at that point now where really jürgen klinsman is is taking things out of the oven so to speak and, and we're seeing if they've actually risen or not have they i think we'll see at the end of the tournament only time will tell <laughs> Taking it out of the other. The proof's in the pudding, Chris. Chris, the proof's in the pudding, especially in America. Yeah, what do you reckon in the United States, Dave? Because, I mean, Chris sums up pretty perfectly there. It's all about the... They have a, an interesting squad. The senior players are in there. They've got that young talent, Pulisic. I think I've said that wrong. You haven't. It's perfect. Oh, no, fantastic. Very good. I fucking nailed it, guys. Um, but yeah, top four it feels like almost, almost like a realistic game, but it's, it's going to be difficult for them. Yeah, Christian Pulisic, you mentioned a player that sort of got into the... Borussia Dortmund team towards the end of the season, you know, wide player that's done pretty well since he's come in, very young, still 17 years old. So he's a, he's a big, big talent. Uh, but it is whether they can get the, the right brand of obviously youth and experience. The, the last four, that's a bit of a push when you consider the teams in there. You've got your Brazils, your Chile's, your Uruguay, Argentina. Um, uh, Colombia maybe could throw it, throw it a hat in. So it's going to be oh, difficult, yeah. but it is on the home turf. And home advantage is a big, big thing. Um, especially uh, sort of on the Americas in a way. You know, you look at Bolivia, who absolutely came everyone at home. So they're going to have a bit of an advantage there. And they're going to have the you know the fans behind him. And Pulisic, obviously, there could be the player of the tournament. Mm. What about- could, you say the same, though, could you say the same, though, about a couple of other CONCACAF sides? Because if you look, down the, um, you look down the roster of teams, you know, there's uh, obviously Mexico are scheduled to play a number of games um, in roughly the same place not always the same city, but roughly the same place. Whereas Uruguay have quite the schedule to fly around. I think I'm right in saying, if I look at the, the schedule for Uruguay versus Mexico. Um, so, it's, it, you know, home advantage is great for the United States, but I think it was also a big marketing idea from whoever it was that came up with it to say we can harness huge audiences within the stadiums, develop stadiums, and also uh, bring in CONCACAF into a very lucrative market. 
and almost sort of cross-pollinate between the two. I don't know if I'm right there, Chris. I know you're going out there. You've got a bit more experience in the States now, um, and maybe you've had a bit more interaction with CONCACAF people, but you know, it's not just the USA that are at home in this, is it? No, it's not. That's a fantastic point, and thing, something that I think does kind of get overlooked is that actually the US in general, it's, it's a melting pot culturally. Um, and as someone that was present for the Gold Cup in 2013, I was actually driving down from New York to DC, and I want to say it was Honduras who were playing, and the amount of cars that we passed with Honduran flags, Honduran fans going to the game, there really is a, a sense of pride, I think, of, of those who are in the US and perhaps are from those Central American countries. And I think even Mexico have... have said it quite openly this is a home tournament for them as well because yeah. mexican population is very strong in the united states and in many ways mexico and us i think at times almost blend over into to one kind of country and one nationality because you have uh -oh. so many players who play for the well, With this a big is the thing. wall in the middle you you have players like omar gonzalez and even jesse gonzalez the, the fc dallas goalkeeper miguel ibarra there's enough examples of players who have either been born in Mexico and play for the States or vice versa. Um, granted, there's a slightly fewer examples on, on the latter end of that, but it still does happen. And I think that's the, the curious thing for me with Mexico in general is they have this support, they have the passion, of course. I can just never see them ever getting their ducks in a row in the sense that De Santos is missing, Bella is missing because of infighting and unprofessionalism on his end. The, some of the fans haven't really taken to Juan Carlos Osorio, one of their friendlies recently. There was next to nobody there. And the, the belief from what I've been able to mention in papers and such like is that um, they're just not taking to Osorio because he's not as he's not as passionate and not as perhaps charismatic as Miguel Herrera, the, the previous coach who was sacked for punching a journalist in an airport. Um, I mean, that's what one way to define charisma, I guess. I, th I think that for them to win, they just have to to be professional, for want of a better term. They, they really do, because they have the talent. They've, I think they've always had the talent, Mexico. It's, it's just, there's so many underlying issues with them that you don't see in that sense. The, the surface water kind of masks it a little bit. Let's move on to Colombia, ranked fourth in the world, um, obviously reached the last eight in, in last year's competition. No Falcao, no Martinez, uh, those old favourites are gone. But it's all about James Rodriguez. He's their talisman. He is. And it's a pressure I almost think he revels in. And I say that because Real Madrid, and we've talked about this on previous pods, you go from usually being the central figure at your club to one of many central figures and a much bigger fish in a, a much bigger pond. Whereas I think with Colombia, he can almost go back and have a real kind of ego boost and a real confidence boost because they do absolutely adore him. I, I feel sorry for Jose Peckerman because he's had so many injuries to, to kind of contest with. And, and the real loss of Falcao, just as they were starting to, to really make inroads, is, is unfortunate. Um, I think, of course, James will, will always take the headlines because of who he is. If you're looking for, for someone to keep an eye on, he's, he's in our top 10 that we've, we've done. Marlos Moreno. Um, he is a very quick, very uh, tricky, intelligent player. And the, the consensus in Colombia is he's, he's all but gone. He'll go to Europe. In fact, Liverpool have been, been heavily linked with him. Um, and I think if you're looking for that breakout star, a little bit in the same way that, 
that James was at the 2014 World Cup, I think this could be a tournament for Marcus Moreno to, to make an impact and really do something important. I mean, how do you rate their chances overall, though? Because obviously they got to the quarterfinals of, of the World Cups in 2014, but do they have enough strength throughout to go all the way? My gut instinct says no. And I just don't see enough quality in Kyrgios. And, and the thing is, as well, I, I feel as if perhaps their tournament will be defined in a very similar way to the, the one in 2014 in the World Cup. If you can stop James Rodriguez playing, I think you do a, a really good job of stopping Colombia in general. And and they look, that might sound disrespectful. Of course, they have quality players elsewhere. I'm not trying to argue otherwise. I think what I'm more concerned with is, do they have the right sort of processes to, to then thrust those players forward and give them opportunities? I think they will get out of the, um, the group stages. But the, the loss of, of Jason Murillo is, is sizable as well. And I think that's where you have to judge a team like Columbia. It's not just what can they do going forward, but how are the guys who are supposed to stop the goals going to mm. perform as well? Hey, Rafa Marquez is there. He's, he's 127 years old, but he's still there, guys. Um, <laughs> what about Argentina? Obviously, uh, we talk about James um, Rodriguez as the talisman for Colombia. Obviously, Lionel Messi is the centre of attention for Argentina, arguably the best player in the world in the team, officially ranked as the best team in the world. Of course, Messi yet to win a, a major senior international tournament. It's something that hangs over him that people do use as a stick to beat him with. Argentina themselves haven't won a tournament in 23 years. Is this year finally the year? Obviously, came so close last year. Can it be different this year? I think Uruguay will win it. Um, <laughs> oh, he's gone straight out there. Straight for it. I, I, I say that because they just have a sensational record in this tournament. They just kind of get it. It's their... It's, it always, Even when they're, they're not hosting, it feels like their backyard. It feels like they just understand it. And they have such a self-belief as a country, as a group, that even the absence of Suarez, I think, will be used to motivate them. Because he's not out of the entire tournament. In theory, he'll be back for the, the knockout rounds. And I, I feel as if that Uruguayan team will say, OK, we've got a job to do now. And then he comes back and he can help us. And the, there's just such a siege mentality about the Uruguay team. Whereas with Argentina, the, there's an immense pressure on this group. It's not, it, it really isn't just Messi anymore. I mean, you can talk about the, the contrast of Messi and Tevez and the fact that the people of Argentina haven't really ever been enamoured with, with Messi. They've always been kind of pulling for, for Tevez in their inner duel. The narrative, I think, is, has evolved now to the point where, yes, there's pre pressure on Messi to, to win this tournament. There's also pressure on Gonzalo Higuain to perform because he is quickly gaining this perception as being someone who's not made for the big moment, who can't really succeed in, in cup competitions. And the same applies to Gerardo Martino, the, the coach, because... If, for argument's sake, they, they bow out of this tournament early or they don't win it, he will then have lost the World Cup final, Copa America final, and then this Copa America again. Say, for argument's sake, it's the final. You then add to that that when he was in Europe, he was with Barcelona and was seen as a failure. It just morphs itself into this this really strong perception that he is a failure as a coach. And that can be a very difficult thing to shake away from. It can, can take real years and real success to even chip away at it. So there is immense pressure on Argentina. And I think it will be interesting to see how they handle that. It is the, the, the strength they've got, especially going forward in that squad, is so insane. That's, it feels like that's where the pressure comes from. Not just because they got Messi, but as you said, Higuain, Aguero, obviously, in the squad, Angel Di Maria. Eric Lamella, if you want to mention him in the same bracket, but Mascherano, Otamendi, there's a lot of big names in there. I feel like they've got a, such a strong spine to their team. 
that's where that expectation comes from, really. I think they just need to get the best out of Eva Benega. I think Sevilla showed that if you make Eva Benega your playmaker and your main man, that you can really create things. I also think Messi needs to potentially be pushed out wide right. Uh, and then the, the strikers, like Chris was saying, Higuain or Aguero, that's such a big choice. I'd quite like to see Nicolas Gaetan as well. I thought he was really good for Benfica in the Champions League this season towards those latter stages. He was real. you go to man where you give him the ball and he'll make something happen. But then that's, again, what the problem with this Argentina squad. Argentina? Argentina? Oh, my, I bottled it, lads. Sorry. Anyway, the problem with their squad is that they have no balance, I think. Yeah. And you're looking like a workhorse there. Who's going to be linking the midfield and the attack? It's just a bit difficult. It looks like there'll be three, three, three forwards up front that will just stick up there and they won't defend. And then you're looking at the Argentinian defence. You've got Otamende, who's still pretty decent. And then you've got Marcus Rojo, that doesn't know how to defend a high ball. Then who's going to partner Otamende at centre back? You know, there's a, a few players there from over from Italy. Is it going to be Funo's uh, Mori? You know, there's a, there's a, a lot of questions on this side. I quite like the look of Brazil. Ooh, really? Brazil. Let's move on to Brazil then, Dave. Perfectly sound there. Um, Brazil, obviously without Neymar, the main man, passing up uh, the Coppers to play in the Olympics, of course. No David Luiz either, no Thiago Silva, no Oscar. A lot of big names missing. Um, a lot of criticism being levelled at Dunga, um, a manager obviously with a, with a somewhat mixed track record. Well, why do you like the look of them, Dave? I just think that they've finally got the answer to their problem over the last few years, and that's a striker that can score goals. And in Jonas, they've got a player that has been absolutely on fire this season, 38 goals he scored. Um, and I just feel that'll give them something else. They've got a very workman-like midfield. You know, they're playing Willian and Douglas Costa or Willian and Coutinho. Then they've got three defensive midfielders, Fernandinho um, with Augusto, Lu- uh, Luis Gustavo holding with Renato Augusto as well in there. So I just feel that they've got that. And then their centre-backs, uh, pretty decent. As well, I just feel like it just feels like this Brazilian team is just going to outwork people, and that's something that we don't really mm. see from a Brazil team. And they've got a player of um, uh, Gabriel Barbosa, you know, 19 years old, touted to be the next Luis Suarez due to his physique and the way he hits the ball and the way he harries. You know, a player that can come off the bench and can really, you know, surprise a few people. And of course, they can call the Hulk if, if need be. So they do have a bit of, uh, you know, they've got a lot of variation in this side. So I just feel that. It could be them, but just because they they look like a good team. Can I can I just say first of all, um, he definitely does, his name is not the Hulk. Uh, it is. His, his it Hulk. is. His first name's um, the. Uh, no, no. It's, yeah, his first like name is the. When he's angry. <laughs> you are, although he is slowly beginning to resemble the Hulk. Yeah, he looks um, like he's eating someone. The the guy is huge, um, and I, I don't mean like weight. I mean he he's definitely hit the gym. Um, there's, but, I mean, you could definitely contrast that, though, Dave, with the fact that in other tournaments, and definitely in previous tournaments, you know, they've got the, the, I don't know, can you call it a ghost of the pre- of previous tournaments hanging over them? World Cup, I think at the previous Copa America, that's still very much a sort of kind of uh, a fresh memory in Brazil, if you like. And I think when you pair that with some of the more political and more recent problems that maybe Dunga has faced, some of the problems and rhetoric from within his own country of people sort of saying this isn't how Brazil is supposed to play but we realize Dunga's almost a compromise Dunga crazily falling out with um not only Thiago Silva but a number of political figures in the FA and then also a number of other players and obviously in the past as well having his own issues um you sort of wonder while things are going well great but if you put the side under any sort of scrutiny will the longevity be there for the team? And I guess that's the question for me hanging over Brazil. 
and, you know, and also just looking at how porous will they be um, at the back. I just wonder if they face someone who's sort of a staunch test, uh, how well can they do? I want them to come away from what happened in the past, but I do still think there are huge questions. I don't know what you think about that, Chris. I think it's a very good point. The, the thing that the thing that always concerns me with Brazil, it's a bit like Mexico in that sense. There's so much politics attached to the, the national team and even the selection process. It's a different kind of politics. So there was a story a few years ago, I think it ran in the Daily Mail, saying that uh, teams who had sponsored um, Brazil and marketing companies had a say in which players would travel to play international friendlies. I can't think of another national team where that applies. I could be very naive to this, but it's things like that. It's the fact that... I think Rashford drives it. Well, it's, 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 things, <clears throat> it's things like jettisoning David Luiz and, and Marcello as well. It, it was funny. I was having I think it was a chat with Dave, actually. Wait, do you mean Thiago Silva? Well, no, David Luiz as well. Jesus Christ, if they really have jettisoned him. I thought, I thought he was just sort of out of favour for a little while. But uh, I didn't think isn't, he was the same as Thiago Silva-esque sort of level. Isn't that quite a good thing then? They've lost these players that may be a little bit big, too big for their boots. You know, David Luiz isn't a world-class centre-back. We all know that. He went for a lot of money, but he's nowhere near the top. If you're looking at centre-backs in world football, you know, get someone like Miranda in there that's been pretty decent for into this season after you know a very good spell at Atletico Madrid. It just feels like they've got a bit of fight back there again. They were really, really soft. Like you were saying, Lawrence, in the World Cup, they were so soft at the back. They just... It looked like they didn't really care enough or they just sort of fell apart in that game against Germany. And Marcelo was was key to that. He completely bottled it in that game. Germany tore him apart. Go back to a few of those goals. It's just down that left-hand side for Brazil. And Marcelo wasn't tracking back. He looked so uninterested in a way that, you know, if you were a Dunga, would you not think, right, these lads have got no bottle? Let's bring in some workhorses. Let's, yeah, let's play then, then not they, really Brazilian football. Well, the yeah, issue that's I have... Do you is, want to get the Brazilian football out of them? The the issue I have with it personally is if you look at that squad, the, the defence in particular, there's a very sharp contrast between those who have experience, Felipe Luiz, Miranda, Dani Alves, and then you have the likes of Douglas Santos, Rodrigo Cao, uh, who just don't have, I think, one cap each. I'm all for transitioning into new phases and accepting that players have had their time, like David Luiz being a good example. But like I said, I'm, I'm sure Dave and I had a chat about Brazil's left-back situation, thinking, crap, who, who would you pick instead of Marcelo? Who's the next best Brazilian left-back? There, there's not a wealth of them. So to jettison someone like Marcelo, who, again, has just come off a very good season, I think, for Real Madrid, has played very well indeed, that to me is, it doesn't make sense. And I think you can certainly get mired in the discussion of do they play nice stuff and, and is it the Brazil that, that we all grew up with? That that's far more validated on the results and what they achieve, I think, rather than actually if it looks pretty. But to me, the fact that again he's he's not picking some of those veterans who could be helpful, and even Kakar, who came in as a as a late replacement, Dunga has hinted that he was not eager to pick Kakar, and and it's things like that. It's those little needless chip aways I think that don't do Brazil any favors because actually. In, in the Copa America last year, the one thing that kind of struck me about them was there, there just seemed to be no leaders in there. The fact that Neymar was able to be so petulant and no one was kind of calming him down and talking to him and just leading, much like I would argue Dunga did when we were all kids and, and used to watch him in World Cups. There's not that figure on the field. And 
I don't know if, if there's anyone putting themselves forward because, again, you know, I think Kakar's the oldest at 34. Then you've got Danny Alves, who is another one that Dunga wasn't too keen to pick, but has kind of had to because there's not really a, a better option elsewhere. It's It just seems very unorganised. And, and for me, that's a concern for a nation that has so much potential and puts, I think, so much vested into its football team. Well, Kakar is obviously also um, getting on a little bit. He, he may not be sort of present for every game, mainly because I don't think he's sort of been particularly present or consistent throughout the season in MLS. Um, I, I do wonder. I, I do think though sometimes we compare Brazil. I, th- I think you're right in what you're getting at, Chris. But I also think Brazil are at least trying to hold themselves to a high standard or a standard which is making this inviting. And for that reason, I quite like that. I, I, I quite like at least what they're trying to achieve, even if their methods are wrong. Let's move on to Chile then. Chris, obviously some world-class players in there. Alexis Sanchez, the main man, of course. Obviously, Claudio Bravo as well, as well as Arturo Vidal, as we says. Um, obviously won the Copa America last year, but they're without Jorge Sampaoli. I mean, how much of an impact is that going to have on them going into this tournament? Obviously, left in January. I think it will have some impact. I also think it was time for a change. I think Sampaoli wanted to move on, and the second you try and keep a coach who who has one foot out the door, I, I don't think you ever get the best out of them. And the the thing with, with Chile is, yes, they won the Copa America last, last year on home soil. Home soil was an important thing. They also had some some decent bits of luck go their way. The, the Arturo Vidal situation during driving, um, Gonzalo Yara essentially sticking his finger up Cavani's butt um, and not getting punished for it. So what? Yeah. things like that do do change the tide of things and, and that's kind of uh, my concern is that I think anyone who's maybe investing money or even thinking that Chile is going to have a similar kind of tournament I think they'll be left disappointed because I don't think this team has the same quality and they've left out Jorge Valdivia, uh, Valdivia excuse me, who is I think a very talented playmaker who could give them something a bit different Let's move on to your favourites then. You said it earlier, Uruguay are going to win the Copa America Centenario, ranked ninth in the world. One more Copa America than other country, any other country, as you said before. But knowing that Luis Suarez, obviously he could be available in the knockout stages of the competition, but surely they've got enough quality to see them through to that stage anyway. I, th- I think they do. Um, the, the midfield is a slight concern in terms of creators. That That's one issue I have. I mean... Um, Nicholas Ladero, who who we talked about today, I've since read something that says he's having another scan on his knee to see if it's okay. <sighs> Either side of that, though, I think they've got quality. They've got Godin and Jimenez, who know each other well from club level. That's a good part of the spine. Up front, I think they have talent as well. Uh, some 50-50 on, on um, the Southampton chap, uh, Gaston Ramirez. Other than that, I, again, I, th- I think they've got enough to do it. And it's the spirit as well. I think the spirit just carries them forward with this one. That's, that's for me, is the, the biggest element. Uh, they are the favourites, right? They are the favourites to win the entire thing. I believe Argentina are the favourites oh. with the bookies. Um, any other dark horses, Chris, that we should mention? Obviously, we've got Costa Rica there, Panama, Ecuador. Anyone that deserves a mention that perhaps could take us by surprise at this tournament? I think Jamaica could. Um, I, I think yes. look they did very well at the Gold Cup yes. the previous year um, and, and Winifred Schaefer has given this team a, a real structure and stability 
that I think was needed because prior to that, they were decent individuals, Jamaica, but there was also a real naivety in the way that they played. Um, they would get undone by similar kind of mistakes you see a lot of minnow nations in that part of the world fall to. And I think having that as a base point, and also I think being very clever with the dual nationality situation and getting guys like uh, Wes Morgan involved, Giles Barnes being another one, I believe they're trying to get Bradley Wright Phillips involved possibly. Um, there has been talk that they're reaching out to him. Mm. Those kind of players, it just ups the level. And I think that's that's the most in, important thing for, for them. Wes Morgan, he's lifted the Premier League title. Could he lift the Copa America? That would be one hell of a story. Um, should be playing for England though, Lawrence. Wes Morgan, if only we'd have called him up. Well, I mean, that's the issue. I mean, Harry Redknapp originally came out with that. And we all know that yeah. Harry, Harry's judgment of any squad. And I think Dave, you know, Dave has said this time and time again. If if Harry rates them, I rate them. Yeah, mm, um, I agree. You know, Dave is a, for me, a big Dave, fan of Harry Redknapp. Dave, yeah, not only that, Dave is a box to box podcaster. You know, yeah, yeah box to box podcast. I'm a right game changer, and I'm pretty good at the back as well. Um, yeah. Um, in case you're and, wondering what the hell is going on here, uh, Dave recently went to an event uh, where Harry Redknapp was giving his expert analysis. Dave, you were questioning whether it was expert. Well, interesting. I don't think I think it's a bit harsh for, for, to just throw Harry under the boat. I think they're all a bit rubbish. Ah, under um, the boat. Right? The, yeah. Don't they throw were Harry. About... <laughs> Harry will drown if he goes under the boat. Because, <laughs> Chuck him under that boat, mate. <laughs> Harry, no, there was, a, there was some question, questionable quotes that came out of that interview. Um, the topic of France, uh, they have got no good centre backs. Um, considering Koscielny is one of the best in the Premier League. Rami lifted the Europa League with Sevilla after some pretty decent defensive performances. Samuel and Titi is coming out of Lyon like a house on fire. Questionable. Then the second point, they lack game changers. Do you, shall I go through the list of game changers in that side? We've got Paul Pogba, we've got Antoine Griezmann, we've got Anthony Martial, we've got Dimitri Park, we've got Kingsley Coman. We've probably got Angulo Conte could be a bit of a game changer if he fancied it. And... Uh, what was the final quote that we missed? Oh, yeah, the Paul Pogba is a box-to-box midfielder. That is the most laziest, laziest comparison of Paul Pogba I've ever heard in my life. Quite frankly, those lads need to get need to bloody get their books out and start reading and watching football again. <laughs> the Copa America, I was about to say. Belgium, yeah, Belgium are going to win the Copa America. Um, I want you to know, Dave, from now on, in all metaphors and in all phrases I use, I'm going to use the word boat. So, you know, you said it there, house on fire. From now on, it's a boat on fire. You know, throw him under the bus. From now on, it's throw him under the boat. I want you to know you Throw him under the boat. Throw him under that boat. A boat in the hand is worth two in the boat. Exactly. More phrases um, could use boats in them. Um, what else? A boaty McBoat face. Yeah. Um, Be careful what um, you boat for. Paul's um, boat that ends boat. <laughs> yeah, <good. laughs> I'm not. I'm not quite Benny sure. For your boat. Metaphor, which is why I think Dave is having an issue here. Um, He's adding oh. boat to injury. You know, at the drop of a boat. Um, <laughs> the boat's in your court. The boat's in your court. Oh, get yeah, no, no, when, when in boat. I think that one's quite a good one. Yeah. Oh wait, the, um, the best boat of both boats. Yeah. Boat is a melting boat. The best um, thing since sliced boat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can't oh, do the boat lights cover. <laughs> <laughs> to boat or not boat? That is the question. That is the boat. Dear me, oh, I'm literally crying with laughter. 
Um, <laughs> curiosity killed the boat. Anyway, let's um, let's end on that note, guys. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening to the front three. Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you on and mine that bloody amazing copper American knowledge. Uh, thank you so much for coming on board. You're of course going over there to experience the tournament firsthand, Chris. I am indeed. I leave on Friday. Where can the good people follow you? if they want to get up-to-date info on all the games, you see what you're up to, essentially. Uh, I have an official Facebook page. I mean, it's not verified. It's only not, down your personal. <laughs> not your personal. Not big time yet. Um, but yeah, you can go on there or, or Twitter, which is uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Fantastic stuff. Lawrence, it has been a pleasure to have you back. I've missed you, Lawrence. I've missed, I've missed all you guys. Boat, remember, guys, boats are mirrors to the soul. <laughs> mm. I agree. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, I'm boat, and I'm dying for boat. <laughs> you can't handle me at my boat. You don't deserve me at my boat. <laughs> boat is a journey. Um, Every boat yeah, has a silver lining after my, all. My mama once said, life is like a box of boats. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Please send us your uh, phrases with the word boat there People on Twitter. People say boats the front are like boats into the boat. Exactly. Um, it takes two to boat. That doesn't really make yeah, sense. It takes, it takes <laughs> uh, it does, actually. Yeah. Jump on the boat wagon, I guess. Um, Fill two boats with one boat. Am I right? Is, uh, almost where the boat free. is. <laughs> it is. Boat it is works really as well. Is, the best thing is they all work. Um, Lawrence, it's been great to have you back. Where can the good people find you uh, until Sunday? Well, I'm on a boat, Adam. Um, but at the same time, go on boater uh, and find me. Uh, yes. L-O-Z-C-A-S-T and boat at me. Dave, where can the good people find you? Well, on Facebook, on Twitter, every bloody where these days. Facebook. So Facebook. at, Facebook. it's at Squawker Boat. So that's yeah. S-Q-U-A-W-K-A-B-O-A-T. You know someone is going to make that account, Dave. You know someone's going to make that account now. Squawker I don't know. I've not already got it. <laughs> yeah. trademarked you, you put all aboard in. the squawk the boat and all the aboard. more statistics you have is like the more uh, boatier you, do. you are yeah. guys, the more thank you. you do <laughs> guys thank you so much for listening let us know who you think is going to win the Cop America on Twitter tweet us at the front free don't forget to check out our reddit as well and the facebook go and jump on the, the facebook, facebook. As well. we're multi-platform now guys it's and not just the a YouTube. podcast don't forget the YouTube uh, and guys. the YouTube as well everywhere because we're on YouTube Adam, as well Adam Boatwood missed that one out Yes, I did forget about that one. Um, do check out the YouTube as well. Guys, we'll be back on Sunday with the Q&A podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Till then, have a bloody great week. Remember to leave your reviews on iTunes at the front. Free. See you, David O'Boat. Sunday. Boat.